You're listening to the Swap Mono Live podcast show brought to you by our friends at OGO. Hey, welcome to Swap Mono Live podcast presented by OGO. I'm here in Southern California with a definite sight for sore eyes. My friend Weston Pike, who is home from Paris, this is, and we're joined by his lovely fiance, Kelly Cleland. And, uh, Man, it's been a uh, a trip to hell and back for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been uh, pretty miserable, you know, just, uh, you know, let alone having this type of injury for how small of a type of crash it was considering the highest of crashes I've had in the past. So, you know, it's been one of the toughest ones on me so far. Definitely. Do you remember the crash? Because it was... It was the second race of Saturday night at Paris. I was shooting the first turn. I was kind of hiding in a place I shouldn't have been. I was behind the freestyle ramp, mm-hmm. but shot through the first turn, and then I heard the crowd scream. And I walked past, and I hate to admit it, but I wasn't immediately aware that it was you because I'm not used to the 18 yet. Yeah. And you've also you'd also trimmed down quite a bit, so I was like, oh man, who's that guy that fell? And I looked. And what I saw, I'll never get out of my head. But still, even at the time, I was like, man, that guy's really messed up. Mm-hmm. And I walked away and I shot mm-hmm. photos. And then when I walked back past, I saw your bike. That's when I realized it was you. But do you remember the crash? No, I don't. I don't remember a lot from that day. Like, I remember uh, bits and pieces of, of getting there, racing the first and second model a little bit. But I th- it's hard to even put you know, a memory on the day, you know, it was, as soon as I got impacted, I was, I was out cold and I don't remember anything until I woke up, you know, obviously I was in an induced coma at that point for three days. And then what I don't remember anything until half the week when I came to it and they were there, but I kind of don't even remember them showing up, you know, Mm -hmm. or seeing them at the first. So it was like, woke up I think what I remember the most was when I woke up out of surgery you mm-hmm. know and I was trying to rip out of the restraints because they had me restrained and it was just you know tough yeah, yeah. so um, I mean I would assume you've watched footage or maybe not no I haven't okay, watched so the crash yet from best accounts that I can make sense of is you look like you pushed the front end coming out of turn one and kind of washed off the first jump and you're body impacted the second jump and I think it was Subaris mm-hmm. cased on your head right yeah that's what I, I heard so was it determined if you're face up or face down I think I was face up so you landed on your face my whole uh, face guard was crushed inwards uh-huh. into my face you know so yeah. that's you know I think that's what obviously it was I don't know if it was a tire that hit first and then his frame you know did most of the rest of the damage on yeah. his face so Wow. It's crazy because <clears throat> as motocross racers, we think about all the dangers that are out there. Yeah. And for me, on a personal level, because my brother, I'm always thinking about breaking my back, you yeah. know, because like, my brother's paralyzed, but I've never thought about having my head landed on, you know? And, yeah. And when, you know, I, I really didn't know exactly what happened, and I didn't realize it was you for a few laps, but I remember after the race, I went to talk to Justin Hill. And he was so freaked out, he wouldn't even, like, give me time for a quote or anything. Yeah. He's like, i got to get to the hospital. And then that's when I realized really how serious it was. Yeah. But, 
Um, so the impact to your face, it obviously knocked you out. Yeah. Um, and I was told that they put you in an induced coma to prevent the swelling from getting worse. Or is yeah, that what it was? Know. Do you know, Kelly? Yes, they said they put him in an induced coma because the swelling was so bad that they were scared there was going to be brain damage if they didn't hurry and do it. And they also were afraid for his breathing. They needed to make sure he could get the trach done from the tube that he had in his mouth. So they needed mm -hmm. to induce him to try to make it come down faster so they could immediately do the jaw and trach surgery. Yeah. So did they trach you at the track or is that later at the hospital? I think at the hospital they trach me because... When I got to the hospital, I saw pictures and I saw that. Monday, they tricked you. You yeah. went to the hospital. The 17th was the race. And then yeah. they had a tube going down his throat. Mm -hmm. And it was connected to the breathing machine. And it would pump the oxygen in. Mm -hmm. And then on Monday night, they rushed him into surgery to set his jaw in place. Mm -hmm. And once his jaw was in place, they were able to go ahead and do the trach surgery. Okay. Yeah, the first thing that I heard that was a relief to me was... Uh, I had inquired with Eric Bernard, and he replied, uh, tests came back, like no brain injury, no brain damage. So that was a huge relief. Um, for you, how much did you know before you got on the plane? Oh my goodness, not or, enough. You just got a call. Weston got hurt really bad. I actually was in the car driving, and I got a message on Instagram from someone I didn't even know, and they said, I think Weston's hurt. And then that's all it took was that. And then I was trying to call Travis Souls, his mechanic, yeah. and he didn't answer. I was like, that's not a good sign. So I kept calling him. He answered. He said it was Weston. He said it was bad. But he's not family, so they wouldn't tell him really anything. Yeah. So then I got in contact with Eric. Eric said, you're going to want to pack your bags. Make sure you pack it for probably a minimum of 10 days. And from there, I knew it wasn't going to be good. Yeah. So... Jumped on a plane as fast as I could. Unfortunately, the first flight out to Paris wasn't till I left the house 3 a.m. on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So Saturday was a very long, long oh evening. Oh, my God. And they said there was no brain damage, but they said neurologically they wouldn't know until he came out of an induced coma. Mm -hmm. So we're all sitting there with not a clue if he'll even know who we are when he wakes up. Yeah. Okay, so the the laundry list of injuries was... Is, Ten facial fractures, a dislocated jaw on both sides, and broken jaw as well? <clears throat> yeah, pretty much. Broke three places in the jaw. You got three fractures by your chin, yeah. both sides of your jaw, because it was dislocated completely from his skull. Yeah. So the first thing they did was reattach it. They said that his both cheekbones were fractured. His upper jaw was fractured. He had stitches from his nose to his upper lip, because they said the bone ripped the skin there. Oh. And then his eyes, they had to rebuild his eye sockets from scratch. Mm -hmm. And they also said in the forehead was a minor fracture. And they went and the whole reason they did staples across his head is they said it was worse than they expected. And they had to put plates by his eyebrows. Wow. Okay, so you get taken to the hospital. They put you in an induced coma. Um, your first surgery, I think your dad texted me from France and said it was seven hours to... Put your jaw back together. So the first surgery was just about the jaw yeah. so that you could breathe correctly, right? Yeah. Um, were you awake at that point after before the first surgery, or did they do the no, first surgery? I don't, I don't remember anything besides waking up. I think that's when I remember. After yeah. the first surgery is when I woke up and kind of came to it a little bit and realized what was going on, and I was like, what, you know, like, what's going on? My family's yeah. here. And then... Uh, 
Did you know when you first woke up? You obviously realize you're in the hospital. Did you remember that you're in France or? Um, I think I think so. Yeah, it was like it was weird because like at at the same time I didn't know what was going on, but at the same time I like I knew something was going on. Yeah. Like, even though I was in a coma, like it was almost like maybe I could have heard people talking or something was mm-hmm. going on, and and I think that's why I was already kind of knowledge a little bit on what was going on, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was still a, it was still a, um, a trip, you know, just waking up and and that happening and and everything else. Yeah, what was the pain like? Like, was it just a really bad headache, or was it real specific? It's kind of weird. Like, even as much that happened on my face, like, I think they had me on so much medication through IV that I didn't have a lot of pain. I just had discomfort. Like, uh-huh. my whole face was numb. Like, I couldn't feel it if I touched it. So, I think a lot of that blocked the pain that was happening underneath because all my nerve endings were cut from pulling my face off. Yeah. That I really couldn't feel much. And then, um, when I could start feeling stuff was, like, when I left ICU and I refused medication, you know, because I don't want to be on it. Yeah. And that's when I started feeling... You know, like the pressure, the throbbing of my jaw, my teeth, and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. and even to this day, I haven't taken any, you know, medication from the day I left ICU. I mean, I took like yeah. a couple of tramadol and some stuff. But other than that, I just, you know, I don't like taking pain pills. And yeah. I'd rather suffer than, than be on pain pills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> the vision I have of what I saw... It was like amazing how fast you swelled up. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that from people that were on scene? Like, um, how did, how did they get the helmet off? I mean, yeah, that's what I was wondering. I don't even know how they got the helmet off because yeah. I, I saw pictures and I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, my, my head was massive. Yeah, you know, and I really don't know how they, unless they pulled cheek pads out, you know, yeah. and were able to get the helmet off that way. But you know, when I first saw pictures, I was like. Holy shit! Is that real? Yeah, because I couldn't even tell it was me. You yeah, know? I, that's another reason I didn't recognize you is you didn't look like yeah. you in, in the helmet. But Kelly, what was your reaction when you got in the hospital and saw him swelled up and in a coma? It must have been horrible. It was terrible, and I never want to do it ever again. Travis warned me because Travis was able to see yeah. him the day before, and he. I asked him, "What did you see?" And he wouldn't tell me over the phone. He wouldn't. He's like, "I'm not telling you anything." He's like, it'd be best for you, not like he's alive. And Eric even said that was hard to guarantee at first that he was alive. So when I saw him, Travis goes, you'll recognize him by his tattoos. Like, thank goodness he has tattoos on his chest because we walk in the trauma center and there's beds full of horrific things that I never want to experience again. And the only way I recognized Weston was because of his artwork on his chest. He was mm-hmm. so swollen. He was like a balloon. And that was the first time they let someone know stay by him. So it was Travis, his dad, and I. And Eric was there. I want to say Pascal stopped by the first day, too. Mm-hmm. And we were talking to Weston. They said he can hear you. Yeah. And as soon as we started talking to him, he started moving. He was kicking. He was moving his arms. And the nurse there goes, oh, he's not paralyzed. 
So from that point on, they had no idea. They didn't know before They didn't that. know. Yeah. They said that he hadn't moved at all. They <clears> had no idea. And thank goodness that we didn't know that until then. Oh I was God. already a wreck. The plane ride couldn't have gone any yeah. slower. And then we land, and it took almost an hour to get from the airport to the hospital with all the traffic. Mm. But we talked to him, and he would move. And we would just talk to him more and more and more, hoping that maybe he'd open his eyes. And he did. He yeah. opened his eyes a little bit. And then they said that he was still in his induced coma and they weren't going to take him out until like Tuesday late afternoon. They finally started slowing the sedation. Were you still in the induced coma when they operated on your face? I know the jaw um, you were. No, I wasn't. Okay, so that surgery, you said you've had three total now? Yeah, three surgeries. So there's one on your jaw and two on your face then? Yeah. So what were the first and second surgeries for? The first one was the jaw yeah. and the breathing. Yeah. And then they had to wait. It was almost a week they waited because Monday yeah. was the jaw. They had to wait till Saturday to do his face because the swelling was way too big. And they said we need it to calm down. So I felt so bad. His swelling's finally going down. And then he gets pushed back into surgery and poofs up all over again. Mm-hmm. And for that surgery, at first they said it would be 8 to 12 hours. And then they said, oh, we already did the jaw. It'll be 3 to 4 hours. And it, mm-hmm. earned, it ended up being about like nine-ish. Wow. And then they said it was way worse than they, they expected. That's he came back. Head, right? Yes, that's when they did his staples because they didn't tell us they were doing staples or they said it would be two small incisions in the eye and they said it would be an incision in the upper mouth. Dude. Yes, and he okay. comes out with over an inch of stitches under both eyes and 40 staples. And we're like, oh, um... Wow. This is not what we were expecting. Andy had a feeding tube then up his nose that they put mm-hmm. so he could get food through that way instead of the IV. And they did, that's when they did the main face. They did the eye sockets, they did the nose, the nasal cavity, cheekbones, and upper jaw. So they basically knocked out everything for that and that surgery. And the whole reason they went in the third time is they said his jaw shifted a little. So since they finally did the upper jaw, the bottom jaw wasn't aligned mm-hmm. exactly how they wanted. So they said that would be one to two hours. They took him into surgery. He was gone four to five. And they said, oh, we needed to operate on his eye again. So they operated on his eye. Mm -hmm. They put a plate behind his eye, his right eye. And then they did some adjustments to his jaw and put a plate in his upper jaw. They said it acts like a cast for Mm -hmm. the upper jaw. Are these all plates that will stay there forever? Or is it like once he heals, they take it out? Like. The mouth one will come out because that's just like a kind of like a retainer cast. Uh But the plates in his head, they said, that's permanent. He's setting off airport metal detectors. He didn't, surprisingly. I was waiting. I was waiting for him to walk through and it to beep, 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 but it didn't. Yeah. So the post that you made on Instagram most recently with the staple shots, and you made a reference to that, that movie Face Off with John Travolta in it. Yeah. I mean, that's really what they did. They they cut you from ear to ear and yeah. pulled your face forward. Yeah, they fell forward. And oh, my fair. God. Like, mm-hmm. that's like, just to think about that. So they peeled it forward to reveal your skull and yep. worked on the bones in your face. Put it back. Yeah. So are you numb on your face? Can you feel your face? Yeah, I, I have no feeling in my nose, my cheeks, my forehead. I get feeling on my temples a little bit. Uh-huh. But, like, my whole nose, forehead... Uh, cheekbones, my lips, and a little bit of my chin, I have no feeling at all. Like zero or like when your leg's asleep or something? Uh, like my forehead's nothing, 
my nose is pretty much nothing. Wow. And then my lips are like kind of slowly coming back. Yeah. But like I can't feel much. Like I can't feel like drinking out of a glass or nothing like that. If I mm-hmm. spill water on myself, I can't feel anything. So well, I think that stuff comes, nerves reconnect, right? Is that yeah. what they told you? Yeah, they said that that it'll slowly come back. Because so far, like, my my chin was numb, mm-hmm. and it's slowly coming back, and it's coming this way. So I'm hoping that my lips and jaw and my chin are the next things that start to get feeling mm-hmm. back. So I was kind of surprised you didn't lose any teeth. No, actually, I, I was so surprised. The only thing I just noticed yesterday was one of my teeth on the upper side is actually chipped oh. from something. But even at that, um, my bottom right side teeth from the front all the way back to the right, they all feel like they've been hit so hard. Mm. Like, because all of my roots hurt extremely bad yeah. on that side only. So that must have been something that they almost broke out yeah but it didn't and that's what that wire the wire running off is kind of keeping them uh kind of in place so mm-hmm. i'm gonna go uh wednesday and, and see a, a maxial facial mm-hmm. and kind of see what the next game plan is from there of, of repairing the rest of my jaw and taking stuff out and yeah. and all that so um your face is still a little bit swollen correct yeah it's still swollen yeah was there like taking the plates out, further surgeries and everything? Um, what is your game plan for like? Uh, I, th- I think you mentioned that there's problems with your vision, correct? Because your optical nerve got stretched. Yeah. So my right eye, I currently have no vision. I just see black. Like zero. Zero. Yeah. Okay. So um, that was obviously from you know stretching the optic nerve. Yeah. And that's just going to take time, you know, mm-hmm. as a nerve. And, you know, it could take a few months for it to come back, or I could wake up tomorrow when it comes back. So mm-hmm. it's just a, a waiting game. I have a, an appointment next Monday again with the doctor after I get a new CT scan on my face. Yeah. So she can, you know, tell me further of what the extreme is or how bad it is. Mm-hmm. And then I can kind of, you know, game plan, you know, what I'm going to do from there. Yeah. So other than that, I'm, I'm pretty much. Everything else is going to heal. Yeah. But my eye is the only thing that, you know, could stop me. Yeah. So, um, it's stretched. It wasn't severed or torn or anything. No. And are they giving you, like, steroids or anything to help they, uh, heal it? They gave me steroids in France in the hospital to uh-huh. help restore it and all that stuff. So, they've, they've given me everything they can. Just now it's a waiting game. Yeah. Well, the body is an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, it heals fast. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I went face first in the jump one time, faulty ignition, and the bike hit me in the back of the head. And so I broke my left eye socket. And I had double vision for six weeks because uh-huh. my left eye is actually pushed into my head. Really? One and a half millimeters further than my right eye. Okay. So my eyes aren't on the same plane. Yeah. And the doctor actually said he was going to do the surgery where they pull my eyeball out of my head and take cartilage from my shoulder and line it, okay. space it out, and put it back in. He says, unless your brain compensates for it. <laughs> Bro, my brain will compensate. Yeah, so yeah. eventually it did. Um, so the brain heals itself yeah, too, you know, yeah. so I would be optimistic for that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's all I can do is stay optimistic and, and you know, wish for the best. And, 
and all that. Because I mean, even right now, I still have a lot of, of pressure and swelling in my face that mm-hmm. even my left eye. It's still my left eye has so much pressure right now from the swelling that it's blurry. So mm. it's not like it waters a lot. Like both eyes water a lot because yeah. of the pressure and the swelling. And then like my left eye is, you know, like I can't like things that are over 20 feet away are blurry to me. Uh-huh. You know, like if I try to read something, but everything up close is fine. It's yeah. just that far distant right now from the pressure. So I think once you know a couple more weeks, the pressure and swelling comes down. You know, I'm hoping to make some strides at that point. Yeah. So with any other kind of injury, there's always physical therapy. You know, yeah. but is there anything that doctors have you doing for this, or is it just chill out and nothing? Out? They just say, you know, time and rest and and let your body naturally, you know, help. But I think yeah. once I could feel better, you know, I'll start doing some therapy or yeah. whatever it is. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like. My body is good, yeah. but my head is a fucking mess. So it's yeah. like, it's, it's something I've never experienced because it's like you wake up and your body works, yeah. but your head doesn't work. So it's just one of those things where it's going to take time and, and uh, patience. Yeah. So nothing else hurt? Like you didn't dislocate your shoulder or no. break a hand or nothing? No, no. Other than... So your leg was bloody. Yeah, something, something cut my leg open. So I have like probably if in a straight line it's probably a foot long of a scar of a huge cut that's mm-hmm. a huge u-shape on my inner thigh and whatever it was it went so deep that it, it cut nerves so my whole kneecap and my shin and the back of my calf up to the bottom of my thigh is all numb mm-hmm. from cutting nerves and, and muscles so that's that's another thing that's that's yeah. bothering me but so that was that stitched up to that yeah, yeah, they stitched up with the track, so. How do you feel, uh, like, you know, whenever there's a French rider here in the U.S. and they get hurt, they're just, oh, they pin it back to France and, like, yeah. like Volman to Roncada to Tortelli. They've always said, Mal, medicine is way better in France than here. Um, having experienced uh, uh, medical care firsthand there, like, do you feel that you were in good hands there? Yeah, I think I think from the surgery point of view, I was in good hands. But the hardest thing was is is the language barrier, like dealing with the nurses, and and I can't talk because I have a trach in, yeah. and and I can't see, so I'm writing on a handboard, trying to give them information, and you know they don't have patience to try to understand, and I'm sitting here struggling, you know. I can't breathe that good because I have a trach in and then it's it's filling up with, you know, spit or, or any stupid thing like that. So I'm constantly having to get aspirated. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, no, you don't need it, like, in French. And it's just like, no, screw you. Like, I can't breathe. You're going to do it. And, you know, and even one time, like, the, my family left and I was supposed to have an emergency button and it fell off my bed because they didn't hook it to my bed and the cotton that was wrapped around my trach sucked into my throat into my breathing and I couldn't breathe and I'm trying to bang on the bed and wave my hand I can't talk yeah. and it probably took only five minutes to finally come in my room to remove the piece of shit in my throat so oh I could God. breathe so it's like there's so many things that were like that were just like 
I'm going to die from not being able to talk yeah. and communicate with these people because I say something on a board and they look at me like I'm stupid because they don't speak English, obviously, because yeah. we're in France. But that was probably the biggest thing, the biggest barrier that was like mentally wrecking me yeah. because yeah. only well, and the family because we're asking questions and, and they just look at us. Yeah, just don't look, but obviously it'd be the same thing that they can't hear. So that was the hardest thing was was that barrier of trying to to figure it out. Yeah. So Kelly, how about for you being there? I mean, the language barrier, obviously, but um, <laughs> did you have your phone open the Google Translate or something? I sure or, did. And then I'm sure Eric probably stopped by quite a bit, right? And I mean, we had unbelievable support of those yeah. who offered to like come by the hospital and translate. Matilde, Marvin's wife, she was very helpful texting. Mm -hmm. I would tell her what I want to say in French, and she would text it back, and I could then show the nurse or the doctors. Or we needed like specific permission for him to fly, and we were able yeah. to get that request because of her. Pascal, this man, Jean, and Eric all stopped by the hospital. Mm -hmm. We had even the flagger who flagged his corner came by the hospital oh. several times, and he was very helpful. And yeah. Language barrier was very, very hard. Yeah. When he, we got kicked out of the room when they did nurses' cares. Uh -huh. So, like, if they did nurses' care, we were kicked out of the room. We came back and he wrote to us about the cotton. And when we heard that, Travis and I alternated nights of staying at the hospital to make sure that he was never left alone because, yeah. I mean, that's got to be the scariest thing ever when you're there and you, yeah, a cotton gets stuck in your breathing hole and you can't breathe and nothing to do about it. We would always make sure that the call button then was tied. We would tie it yeah. to the bed frame. And it was, it was definitely hard. Talking was a struggle. We were able to go to the market across the street. And when he was able to slurp some something, we would try uh -huh. to find drinks. And it's like, we go in there trying to ask for a straw. Uh -huh. And they pointed us to the hats. And we're like, <laughs> okay, this is just not working. Yeah. Um, what, uh, you were there for what, two weeks, three weeks? Two weeks. Two yes. weeks. So it was just hospital, hotel, hospital, hospital hotel. I would only go to the hotel when they would kick us out of the room. Yeah. And everyone would be like, okay, we probably should shower. We're starting to smell like the ICU unit. So we'd go, in. we'd shower, come back. Yes, that's, it's stunk uh, in there. How did, how did, uh, how did Louie handle it, Weston's dad? I don't think anybody handled it very well. Um, yeah. I think everyone was just lost for words and we all would be frustrated we all had no sleep we didn't have there was the language barrier our patients were at wit's end we we just wanted to get them all better and take them home yeah definitely so i mean man how does it work with health insurance and being in a foreign country and and all that stuff is, is medicine social in france well for if you're if you're French, it, everything's covered. You yeah. know, there's there's no cost to them. But you know, obviously with an American rider, you know, it's 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 on us. But um, you know, we ended up getting some help, you know, mm -hmm. from the French the French Federation for all that stuff. So you know that that was a relief. But yeah. you know, it's still like it, you know it's expensive to spend 13 days in an ICU with a room to yourself and then. Mm -hmm. And then move to a lower intensive care room for another five days, and then you know three surgeries and ambulance bills. You know, so there's a 
there's a lot of expenses, you mm-hmm. know, for that. And does U.S. insurance cover that because it happened in another country, or um, I believe so. Yes. So it, I don't know if it covers all of it, but it yeah. does some of it. So um, you know, there's it's just a, a big thing that has to be figured out and gone yeah. through with everything that's being worked on right now. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still, you know, there's still a lot of other expenses that yeah. you know that went into it, and then. You know, obviously having road recovery come on and, and do what they've done is awesome, you know, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that helped a lot with getting my family over there and getting us back, you know, with some comfort and not and not struggling on a 12-hour flight back mm-hmm. here and then, you know, covering hotels and food and medical bills. You know, it, it's really helped, you know, to have them on board and as well as is having the amount of people that donated, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I can't even explain, you know, how thankful I am of everybody that's, that's came together in a community and helped out. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's an awesome thing. Um, initially, I remember reading something that you'd have to be transported back to the States on like a special flight. Um, was that, did that end up being the case or were you able to fly commercial? Um, I, I flew commercial home. The, uh-huh. the reason we were going to do that, um, the medical flight, was if we weren't going to get uh, treatment in France. So it was, you know, it was my dad and my fiance and, and Travis were all talking like, you know, what's, what's best for him. And it was like, I was such in critical care that it was like, they came to conclusions that it wouldn't be safe to fly. Mm-hmm that many hours on a plane at in pressure elevation and then they said they'd have to stop in New York and get gas and all this crap and it was like you know what let's just stay here it's a good hospital you know they're good with the face so you know I'm glad they made that decision you mm-hmm. know to stay there just so I didn't have any other risk of, of getting worse yeah so you know that was that was a good call you know and obviously um you know, flying home after I was able to, to get out of there, you know, at that point, I, I didn't care what I flew on. I just wanted out of there, you Wanted know, because, you know, I just, I had a lot of bad experiences with nurses and, and you know, lack of care mm-hmm. from a lot of them that I was so mentally done with it that I literally, like, the last three days I was in, in the, the second room I went to at ICU, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to leave. I was going to walk out of there because I was so pissed off at the people I was dealing with there. Like, yeah. they almost just like, as soon as I left ICU, the next place, they couldn't give a shit if I died or not really? in that room. So, you know, it was it was good to leave, you know, mm-hmm. once I finally was able to leave. And, and but, you know, it's it's... You know, you're, you're kind of stuck with what you have. And yeah. You're considering being in, you know, a different country that's not familiar to you. Yeah. When, uh, I know that sometimes when you fly after you've had surgery or, or if you're injured, things swell up more. Did you have crazy issues going in the plane? Um, not, not too bad, actually. Yeah. Um, I think by the time I was able to fly back, a lot of the swelling went down. Was he on there? The, the biggest thing I had was a little bit of pressure about halfway through the flight. My head started hurting a little bit. And then, um, obviously, when we started landing, my ears wouldn't pop because mm. of all the swelling and the yeah. trauma. You know, that really jacked me for a few hours after 
um, the flight, you know, just trying to transition back to regular altitude and, and whatnot. But, you know, for the most part, the flight actually, you know, probably went the smoothest. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, Kelly, on a, I know on one of your posts, I was, I was pretty heartbroken by it when you said, I got fired from my job. I mean, was it just because you just peaced out and you had to leave? I mean, I had to leave. I mean, I, I didn't call them the day before, obviously, and be like, oh, I'm going to take some vacation time. It was all so last minute, and I was supposed to go into work that day that I left for Paris. And once I landed in Paris, I told them, I'm not going to be there. Mm-hmm. I, I won't be there, and I can't tell you when I'll be back because we have no idea how long we're going to be gone for. And they said it was fine, and then I contacted them every other day, and then it came to the point where they're like, okay, you have to resign. Mm. And I didn't know why I had to resign, but, I mean, it is what it is. I just said, okay, I, hey, there's, there's nothing I can do about it. So, <clears throat> And then, thankfully for my school, they were really understanding. I mm. actually was able to do a lot of schoolwork online, and mm. then uh, I have a class that's incomplete, but I'll pick it up next semester. Mm. And, I mean, all we cared about was just... Make sure Weston's alive and breathing. Yeah. Get the trach out of him. His yeah. personality really started to shine through the last few days, which was nice. <laughs> he he did say, he was like, oh, I'm sorry, this is so boring. And everyone is like, this is so far from boring. Yeah. He's actually able to communicate. He's walking around. The last couple days in ICU, he was hilarious. He would pull the heart rate stickers off. Mm-hmm. crumble them up in a ball and fling them towards the door like he's so over it he's yeah, like get yeah. me out of here and that, that was funny it was nice to see his personality come around mm-hmm. like for so long he just laid there and we all felt like the ultimate creepers because we would just stare at him day in and day out and poor guy if he would have opened his eyes a few times we would have been so up close and personal yeah. probably would have given him a heart attack yeah so it was nice to know that towards the end like he was really coming around personality wise and then it was good to see him get up and walk mm-hmm. and it was once we got into the other unit they didn't seem to care as much mm-hmm. so like he could do the aspirating himself and it was just it was wow. scary so when you when you're tricked you can't speak correct or yeah the, the first if you cover almost it. uh until I, I got to the second room mm-hmm. i couldn't talk and then they gave me a uh a cap for the trick that it would plug it to where I'd actually have to breathe on my own mm-hmm. and that was the deal if I could breathe on my own with that on there for a day they would take the trick out mm-hmm. and I was like fuck yeah I'm not having this thing in there all the time like I literally was so over the trick I was googling how to take it out myself <laughs> because I was so over it because I couldn't sleep like I the only time I slept when I was in a coma, but other than that, like, I would lay awake in that bed day mm-hmm. in, day night, and just going crazy, because I couldn't sleep because of the trach and, and everything else, and then, you know, obviously, yeah, with the trach, I, I got the calf on there, I waited a day, and I was like, take this crap out, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I, I could breathe, and that was breathing... Through the, I had a full set of bands in my mouth, so I couldn't open my mouth. Oh, yeah. And then my nose was plugged because I had a feeding tube in one nose, and then the left side of my nose was collapsed. Mm. So I'm breathing through bands. So yeah. I didn't sleep a whole nother night again. 
because I had to stay awake so I could make sure I could breathe. Yeah. Because if I fell asleep, there's no way I could breathe through my mouth. So, you know, I, I stayed up all night and made sure I got used to breathing on my own. And then they took it out, and then I was like, holy shit, I could actually breathe, you know, with yeah. it out. Obviously, there's a hole in my throat, and I had to cover it to to breathe or to do anything, because mm -hmm. it would just, air would come straight out of my, my trachea. So to finally get that out was a, was a relief, yeah. you know. What did, it, what did it feel like to breathe through the trachea? I mean, you know, we've all seen those commercials, the non-smoking yeah. commercials where there's a lady smoking through her neck or whatever you yeah. know but like what was the sensation like it was it was weird like literally i could just close my mouth and breathe through my trachea mm -hmm. without the trach in there or like anything i did like coughed or anything it would just all come out of my trachea if i didn't cover it mm -hmm. so it's super weird like you know dealing with that and even like when i would when i got it out and then i'd try to sleep after I got it out, like, I would end up start breathing through my trachea. So when I'd try to fall asleep, I'd fall asleep with my with my hand or my <laughs> finger over the hole, and I'd do it before I'm laying on my side so I can, even if I fall asleep, then I'd hopefully have some sort of pressure on it to start healing the hole. Yeah. They but, don't just stitch it up and bandage no, it? No. Like, I still have, like, a dime-sized hole in my throat. Um, they say it heals from the inside out, which uh -huh. now... Now I, I barely have any air come out of it. Yeah. Unless I cough really hard and I don't cover it. Mm -hmm. But like it's healing from the inside out, so it's starting to seal, but there's still a hole in mm -hmm. my neck from that. So I think it's probably will take a full two weeks or plus to heal completely. So if you got one of those whistle candies, you could put it here and... Oh, probably, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said they don't stitch it because it heals inside out. So uh -huh. if there was any bacteria or something, oh, it would get yeah. trapped and it would cause an infection. That makes so sense. So otherwise, we were just going to stitch it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. You're Googling how to stitch yeah. your trachea. Exactly. Uh, so what... what uh, uh, you know, when you're texting me, you said, I could talk right now, but it's quiet. Yeah. But like, your voice sounds normal, just you're having... Trouble moving your jaw? Yeah, because... But, like, yeah. like well, Kyle Chisholm's voice got all crazy after he got tricked, right? Uh -huh. And he sounds like Bogle now. Yeah. But, like, it sounds like your voice is unaffected. Yeah, I think I think my voice will be good. It might be a little raspy, mm -hmm. but I think once my jaw can open, mm -hmm. I'll be able to talk a little bit more without being rumblish, but... Every day you've been louder and louder. Like, this yeah. is the loudest he's been. Otherwise, it started with, like... Mm. Yeah. Get what was the first thing him. he said? Hi, how talk. are you? And then he said, I love you. <laughs> yeah, nice. Ogeo has been around for three decades, but it was in 2001 that the brand forever changed the way we think about gear bags. With never seen before features, like specific storage compartments for your boots, helmets, gear, and more, the Ogeo 9800 is the most popular gear bag in motocross. Visit ogeopowersports.com. Hey, what's up guys, Malcolm Stewart. This soft season, I've been training harder than ever getting ready for 2019. And I've been using Rhino Power supplements before, during, and after my training and has made a big difference, especially the motivation pills. Use Swap Moto as your discount code at checkout for 10% off your purchase, plus free shipping on rhinopower.com. What's up, this is Christian Craig. As a motocross racer, being in top physical shape is a must, and my favorite way to train is cycling. 
and whether it's road biking or mountain biking, I rely on Roy Cyclery to keep my bikes in perfect running order. Roy Cyclery has been servicing Old Town Upland, California since 1962. Mention the Swap Moto Life podcast for additional discounts in the shop. Hey, let's switch to happier subjects here. A few days before France, you got engaged. Yes, we did. Right? Yeah. So was he uh, was he super like uh, cheesy romantic about it? Did he have doves flying everywhere or was it just for the moment? There were definitely no doves. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> He did it on top of Bell Rock in Sedona, Arizona, mm. and he actually did it at sunset. It was up high. It was beautiful. It was mm. perfect. Did you know it was coming? No, and I thought it wasn't real, because when he asked me, I pinched him, and I asked if this was a dream. I did appreciate it, though. I said, could you get back down on one knee? Like, this is odd that you're actually looking up to me. Yeah. <laughs> Can I have a redo? Nice. It was perfect. I was so happy. And then it was last minute he went to France, and then we... Celebrated in the ICU. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things that happened in a, in a short period of time. Yeah, that was good and bad. How did uh, how long did you plan your proposal for? Um, I actually when when I finished outdoors mm-hmm. and I got back to California after my surgery, um, the first week of September is when I went and bought a ring and all that. So I had the ring for. A little over two months. Mm-hmm. So I, knew, I was actually, I was going to propose when I went to Japan for a Supercross race. The Japan Supercross that never yeah, happened. And then that got canceled and I was like, shit, what am I going to do? And then we last minute booked a trip to Sedona and I was like, yeah, this will be a perfect time for it too. So mm-hmm. just kind of had to, you know, make a quick, a quick change of, of thought of what I was going to do and do it that way. Yeah. So were you slick? Did you have a GoPro on the ground or something? Oh, yeah. He did. He did? I yeah. was so shocked. He's like Mr. Anti-Photos and everything. <laughs> I've and, ne- yeah. I, never, I never do cameras. You know, uh-huh. I'm not a big picture guy. And, you know, the guys over at GoPro sent me a GoPro because I was like, hey, I want to start doing some more video photography with, you know, Moto and, and whatnot. So I brought that with me. And that, the new camera takes better pictures than my iPhone. So I was yeah. like, dude, I'm using this thing. So, you know, we were taking videos and everything like that, and, and I, I set it up all smooth, and I was like, oh. <laughs> um, I was so nervous, you know, because, like, honestly, yeah, I'd never done it before, and I was just, like, nervous, and then, you know, I was it all happened, but, you know, I was able to get it on camera and all that, which oh, was nice. cool. Oh, nice. Nice. So you didn't know, you weren't like, why is he putting the camera over there? It was, was it about- was fishy that he had the GoPro, but, I mean, he was smart about it because he used the GoPro all day. Like, yeah. he's never yeah. been a photo guy, and all day he had the GoPro out, was taking pictures, and then he was like, oh, I want to see the lighting, and I'm like, Weston's talking about lighting? That's usually me. I'm always <laughs> like, oh, the light's better over here, and I no, I didn't expect it at all. He did it, and I still, I think the video is retarded, because I'm looking at him like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know. I'm, it was, I just look at him like, is this really happening? I was so happy. I was so happy. Yeah. I was just in shock. So, well, what are the plans then? Like, how, how long are you waiting? Or I, I'm assuming every motocrosser gets married in the winter because it's after the season's over, right? Yeah. Everyone's. It's yeah. funny. You can always, as soon as this off season happens, it's like all these anniversaries and weddings <laughs> popping yeah, up yeah. on Instagram. This, this year, I was like, "Holy crap!" There's like a hundred people getting married in the moto industry. I was like, "That's crazy!" All on the same weekend. Yeah, but I think. Um, 
We have a date set, and it's in December, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not a for sure yet. We just kind of I don't know who set. he's marrying because we didn't pick December, and he just or, said December. So no, he might. He was just in a coma. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, November or December? I'm I don't just know. Kidding. I think it's November, right? Are we in December? Yeah. Anyway, it's not. We 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 have some time where we can move it if we need to or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, That's tomorrow. I'm just kidding. But we're doing it in Disney World in Orlando. Oh, okay. So, any reason you're going to Florida? Like, you're not from Florida, right? I'm obsessed with Disney, and it's been like a dream since I was a little. Are you gonna girl. wear a Disney princess dress? Definitely not. It's gonna be a nice white wedding dress. I could make him dress up as Prince Charming, or he could be the Beast, and I'll be Belle. There yeah. I go. I'm just kidding. Wow. So, uh, okay. So, you're you know waiting to heal. Yep. You're relaxing, enjoying some off time with your new fiance. What, what, uh, what do you do to pass your time right now? Or like, how, how do you keep from going nuts? Because I know every yeah. every motocross guy when they're hurt goes nuts because they want to ride. Yeah, but, I mean, right now it's it's tough because I can't drive because mm-hmm. I don't my left eye isn't clear enough to drive. So I literally just sit on the couch and watch. Netflix or documentaries or you know we play board games or just do anything I can and and like I went yesterday and cleaned my whole garage because it's like I can't do crap mm-hmm. and I can't do certain things because my the pressure and the vision you know kind of sucks right now so it's like if I do too much and I just agitate it so it's mm-hmm. like I gotta kind of find line of doing too much not yeah. enough or or you know so it's kind of it's tough but I think I think a couple more weeks, you know, I'll be able to drive and kind of have a better peripherals on my vision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point, I still don't know what I'm going to do. At mm-hmm. least I'll, I'll do something. Maybe if I can function better, you know, I'll, I might work on my, my old truck a little bit or mm-hmm. do a little bit of something just to keep my mind off of it, you know, just to kind of, you know, move forward and, and kind of progress as much as I can. Yeah. I know sometimes when you are hurt, they say like exercise gets the blood flowing and that yeah. promotes healing. Like, could you get on a stationary bike right now and work up a sweat, or is it not um, not wise because of the pressure? Yeah, I could, but my head my head still has a lot of swelling, mm-hmm. so I don't want to I don't want to overdo it. Yeah, you know, because still like right now, if I if I stand up too fast, I get crazy lightheaded. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be sitting in a on a spin bike you know, being hunched over and kind of put that extra pressure on my face. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm hoping another two weeks and I can actually start, mm-hmm. you know, getting some, some cardio in just to let my body start moving more. Yeah. But wow. I mean, at least right now, I, you know, I'll go on dog walks and, and whatnot, but I mean, it's, it's, it's something, you know, it's, it's moving, it's walking. Yeah. Um, it's not a long time, you know, because I was... You know, it's crazy just being bedridden for 18 days. I'm so weak. Like, mm-hmm. like I was so strong before I got hurt, and then just laying in a freaking bed for that long. Mm-hmm. Like, I could barely lift my arms, and I could barely walk. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I'm sitting here like, what is going on? I yeah. can't even walk. Like, yeah. So it's just one of those things that's going to take some time to, to build strength back. Mm-hmm. J-Bone had told me, you know, before all this happened, that you were really, everything was clicking for you. Yeah. 
really happy with the bike in great shape yeah body in good condition i mean were you feeling like this was the year oh definitely you know i it was the second year on the new bike and you know we had made some some big changes you know already on the off season for supercross and you know i was feeling the most comfortable i ever have you know i hired a you know, Seiji, a uh, new trainer for my whole program to take Old Andrew Short, Seiji? Yeah. Oh. And, you uh, can't trust that guy. He's Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, uh, <laughs> he was awesome. You know, he's super knowledgeable. And and working with him, you know, I learned so many new things just about the body alone. And, mm-hmm. and I was on top of my game, you know, and I, I was expecting you know, podiums and I had the speed and yeah. and I was I was committed hundred percent and and I knew that it was gonna be a big year. Yeah. You know, and it just sucks because, you know, I, I put in so much effort already on the off season and then this happens and it's just like, you know, damn, like I put in all that work mm-hmm. for nothing. But uh, you know, it sucks. You know, all I can do is, is wish for the best and, and hope that I can, you know, Shit, if I can make a couple races this year, or, mm-hmm. or even make outdoors, you know, it'd be awesome. So, yeah. but like I said, it's just a, a slow process, and you know, I'm just doing what I can do. Yeah. Had uh, Seiji taught you or put you on a different training program than your previous time? Because one of the one of the reasons I didn't recognize you is a because I wasn't used to the 18 yet, and b is because like when I saw you in the pits Friday after press day, like. You're narrow. Yeah. <laughs> like, like your your body had changed. Like for you, has it always been a struggle because you're such a muscular guy um, to keep your strength that you want and then be lean? I mean, yeah. I mean, that was always the hardest thing for me was like finding the fine line of of having enough strength, but at the same time having enough cardio and not being too bulky to race. And I think like you know having Seiji we had the perfect program going on, you know, with, you know, the correct and the right amount of gym exercise and work mm-hmm. and then having the right amount of, of bicycling and cardio. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we were we were right on the money of what was working and, and then I was cutting weight and I was getting leaner mm-hmm. and I was losing fat and, you know, gaining some muscle. And I felt the best I ever had, you know, I was, I was as strong as I ever had been, you know. Mm-hmm. And... You know that was that was the best thing about it is is you know I was growing you know to be a better rider yeah you know so that's kind of what you know he he did and it and it really works so mm-hmm. yeah no Sage is awesome yeah I, I miss that guy being around because after Shorty retired he no one was using him right um Nicoletti Nicoletti still, was still okay him. yeah. Low key though, because he's so damn cheap that he he wouldn't he would never put enough money into his program to make himself better. So, but you know, like with Seiji, you know, like I I went on full board, you know, like yeah. I was gonna fly him to some races and mm-hmm. and you know, like I said, because to do it right, you need to spend money yeah, and do it right yeah. and invest in yourself. You know, and I figured I was looking at it at like, well, I have three or three to five more years of racing mm-hmm. at a professional level of, on a factory team. And I was like, you know, I need to make these last years count. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously with Seiji, it was going in that direction of, you know, of consistency and, and being able to show up every weekend and, and perform. So, 
you know, that was obviously in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, mm -hmm. obviously you just never know, you know, you get hurt like yeah. I did and then everything just falls apart. Was he uh, having you do like wax on, wax off, Mr. <laughs> Miyagi stuff? No, not yet. Was he making you eat a lot of rice? No rice. No rice? <laughs> no. Uh, Use chopsticks? No chopsticks. No what are no the Japanese guys making all these Japanese jokes? Right. <laughs> nice. Um, so obviously you're talking about hoping to be back for nationals and outdoors and stuff. I mean, that is awesome for me to hear because it was a question I didn't want to ask. You know, because you know, some guys get hurt something this gnarly. Yeah. And they're like, I'm done with dirt bikes, man. You know, like, so I mean, that's good for me to hear it. You still want to race? This is still your calling. Yeah, I mean, if if my if my vision comes back and I'm feeling 100, obviously, obviously my face is going to heal. That's yeah. that's not my issue. It's just um, obviously the vision. You know, once that comes back and I'm and I'm and I'm spot on and I can react like I want to, you know, I'd still I'd still race again. You know, yeah. I I'm I'm a warrior. You know, I'm not scared of anything, and you know, I, I do what I got to do. Yeah. So, uh, was your job wired shut at any point? Like, um, it was. It's not wired right now, right? No, I, okay. I got as far as I can only open it about 20 millimeters uh -huh. or something like Is that. Is that just because it needs to heal? Um, yeah, just because it's super jacked up and swollen in my uh -huh. jaw joint. So, um, that's why I can't open it that much. But after the first jaw surgery, it was wired shut. And then... When I went back in for the third one, they took out the wires and they replaced it with the upper retainer to keep my upper mandible uh, intact. Mm -hmm. And then they rubber banded my entire mouth shut. So I had rubber bands from the back of my jaw all the way to the other side of my jaw. So I couldn't open my mouth then either. And then the last day in the hospital, they removed all but two bands in one mouth. Mm -hmm. So um, that was good, which was weird because usually everybody's like, oh, you break your jaw, your mouth is wired shut for mm -hmm. multiple weeks. So I was kind of stoked, you know, with whatever they did yeah. in my mouth where I could actually open it a little bit and move it. So so on my way here, I was like, hey, man, can I bring you a burrito or something? Sure. And you're like, no, I'm still... So you're on a liquid diet then right now? So you're yeah. drinking like... In sure shakes, like for no. old people, or no, I. It's funny is when I was in the hospital, that's all they gave me was like those types of insured drinks, and they were all like dairy, and they jacked me up. Oh. Like it just clogged up my system even more, like in my nose and my mouth and the phlegm and through the trach. So I requested like uh, dairy free stuff, so yeah. that helped, and then they got me soups from outside. Mm -hmm. um, and then just like juices and stuff like that, but you know now, now uh, I literally blend everything. I don't care what it is, hard food. I throw it in the blender and uh -huh. I'll just put it down towards liquid. I'll add bone broth, you know, any kind of broth, any kind of liquid, just to get it to where I can drink it. Yeah. You know, with a little bit of mouth opening I have, so that's where I'm at. Like all. Like I blended freaking enchiladas last week with. I was gonna ask Kelly, broth, what's the gnarliest you know, thing like, you blended? I don't even care. Like, like I blend everything. Yeah, it's just. Last night was chicken and spaghetti. Um, blended up. Yes, everything. Right, so if you think about blended. it, 
you chew it all up and you have the yeah. flavors. So like when you blend it, does it taste the same? No. No? Because I try it. <laughs> I have, he's sensitive with the temperature. So it's like by the time he drinks it, if it's too hot, it's too late. Like it's already. Yeah. So I always try everything first and it does not taste the same. It does yeah. not. But I still have, like, I don't have that much taste yet. Uh-huh. Because I'm sucking to a straw and I don't have time to really taste it. Yeah. So I'm like just drinking stuff and like I could almost barely tell what it tastes like, but I could tell enough if I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But it's like half the time or more, it's like I'm just drinking it just for calories. You yeah. Know? So. Wow. How much weight have you dropped since you got hurt? Oh, I haven't weighed myself, but. I easily dropped maybe 10 pounds or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I know my waist, at least my waist, I dropped an inch and a half plus, yeah. you know, because nothing fits anymore. My shirts don't fit. My mm-hmm. pants don't fit. So it's just one of those things where, you know, right now being injured and being down is I'm just trying to eat as many calories as possible yeah. to, to kind of start repairing the body and, and you know, repairing this injury. So mm-hmm. Cool. Has the team been uh supportive i mean obviously if they said rides here when you get back yeah i mean everybody on the team is super supportive you know obviously this is my fifth year on jgr mm-hmm. and you know they all they all know that that i'd do anything you know to race again and and they know that i've raced with injuries every year and and they know they know i'll do as much as i can to get back as soon as possible and they're they're behind me 100 percent and and ready when I'm ready so cool so uh you know like for instance Jesse Nelson's a good friend of mine I've seen what road recovery has done for him you know they're real helpful for him and even in his everyday life you know getting his his supplies and make sure he's got this and that so uh road recovery has a page for you it's road road number two recovery.com slash weston pike correct so um I would implore everyone listening right now to think about the story that Weston just told us and think about our best memories of watching Weston race and the things he's done on the track. My best memory is you taking me out at Comp Edge, but that's another story. But, uh, years ago, right? <laughs> years ago, number 31. Yeah. But, uh, no, but, I mean, motocross seems big, but it's really small yes. in the grand scheme of things compared to other sports. So... Man, if you are listening and you can help, I really would urge you to go to roadrecovery.com slash Weston Pike, read his story there, and uh, help him out with whatever you can because, as we touched on earlier, Weston is going to have some hospital bills in French that I think are going to be kind of scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to figure that all out and get all that stuff sorted out yeah. right now. Here's something I've been curious about. You're a factory Suzuki rider, right? I think a lot of people that don't know, that they just assume, oh, well, he's a factory Suzuki rider. Suzuki's his boss. They probably insure him, right? That's not how it works. You're an independent contractor, yeah. correct? So you have to pull your own insurance policies. Yeah, so I, I have all my own personal insurance policies that I pay for myself. So, mm-hmm. Do you have one of those career enders? Yes. Like some guys? How do those yeah. work? Yeah. Um, you pretty much pay thousands of dollars a year to insure yourself. So, uh-huh. you know, obviously, 
you'd ever want to have to use yeah that. definitely not but i mean but it's it's one of those things that it's good to have you know just in case if i never race again you know i have up to a year from my injury to mm-hmm. claim that i can't race anymore and you know it's just one of those things that's a peace of mind you know when you when you show up and race that if you do get injured mm-hmm. and you have a career ending thing and you have medical bills and you have expenses mm-hmm. that you can use that money to help pay for for your your life of whatever happens or whatever changes in your life or whatever you need to to get going is, mm-hmm. is it's there for that yeah for sure yeah um i've always kind of wondered about that because you know like there have been certain guys that have exercised that and is it yeah. still only lloyd's that will insure motocross raiders uh that's who i have it's lloyd's of london yeah yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure there's another company, but I think Lloyd's of London is like the best rates, and they'll, they'll work with you. Like, yeah. like I'm, they're cool, and they, you know, I make payments mm-hmm. to them, which is awesome. You know, they let you make payments and yeah. all that stuff, so it works out. Are you eligible right now for like state disability because you're injured and not being able to race? I have no idea. I call an agent. I know, right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure how that works though. Yeah. Because I'm self-employed, I don't know if that's. Mm. I don't think uh, yeah, I that's possible. Yeah, right on. So um, unless I had like an Aflac. Yeah. Do you have Aflac? No. The little duck insurance. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they wouldn't cover me anyways. Yeah. Wow. Well, man, I I can't tell you how good it is to see you home and and healthy, and, and you know yeah. your usual self. You know, it's like getting there. <laughs> it, it was. You know, I mean, we. I took my family to France, yeah. and we stayed uh, three days beyond the race. But, like, I, I couldn't get you out of my head the whole time, you know. Yeah. It's funny, too, because you probably thought, what an idiot, because you got a text from me, you know, that night. Hey, buddy, how are you doing? You okay? But I was hoping that you were going to be just, you know, concussion and able to like, yeah. reply. But... I think we all hope that, because I even <clears throat> text him. My actual last text to him was, he did so well on Moto 1 and 2, and I know for 2 he wished he did better. And I was like, oh, well, at least you're safe and sound. It's all that matters. Good luck, mm-hmm. Moto 3. Yeah. And then I heard he got hurt, and I texted him right away thinking that, like, okay, I know he's gone down several times and just bounced right back. Mm-hmm. I think 100 people text him, though, and, I mean, it was just the thought that count. At least yeah. it was something that he had and he could look at and he could see how many people actually yeah. cared and reached out to him. When so. you turned your phone on the first time, it must just beep for like a solid hour. Yeah, there was quite a bit of he had hundreds messages. Of messages. Yeah. yeah, between you know Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, texting, emails. Like you know, it's, it's, <coughs> it was so hard to respond to everybody. You know, you do as you do as good as you can and what you can, but it's hard. You know to. No, I appreciate everybody that's reached out and, and gave their love and support. So, yeah. so. Hey, when you were uh, a teenager, number thirty-one, taking out bets at Comp Edge. Yep. <laughs> did you ever imagine you'd be as uh, successful in racing as you are? No. Back then, no. You know, it was back then. I was still just, you know, a shithead. You know coming up in the ranks as an amateur and I never thought I'd be where I was at you know today when even even back in 2013 you know I, I didn't think I'd ever be this far you know but obviously it's just the the persistency and and working with you know certain people and motivational people to 
you know, to keep you on track, and you know, this is, and then you end up here. So it's it's all possible. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, hey man, thanks for allowing me to stop by today. Again, it's very good to see you. Again, if you're listening, please find it within yourself to uh, visit roadrecovery.com/westinpike. Let's help the big guy out, number eighteen. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you back on the track. And yeah. uh, thanks for joining us, Kelly. And, and thank you. And your old boss sucks. <laughs> all right well, hey thank you uh thanks for listening and uh we'll see you next time thank you guys thank you you've been listening to the swap moto live podcast show presented by ogio and hosted by my dad don Mera. thanks for listening